Well, hello and welcome everyone to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. As today's show is a news show, Dana, my co-host, is busy doing other things. So it's just me and you. So let's get this show started. All right, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's kick it off, as we always do, with our first cup. And our first cup today is a Diet Coke, unfortunately, Uh, because I didn't take the time to brew any coffee. I will make some after this, as it is still morning on Thursday. I do apologize that I wasn't able to do the news on Tuesday, as I thought I would do it early on Wednesday, and then Wednesday got beyond me as far as work. So I do want to say some of that work was for our association, CISFA, as we just concluded our two-day, or I should say two-half-day, financial aid 101 training uh, in conjunction with help from the Foundation for California Community Colleges, their staff, um, fantastic. No other way to put it. They help with logistics and the planning. They run it like a show, as it is when it's virtual. And it just works really, really well, so I can't complain at all. It went off really well. Our trainers are fantastic people. We call, we call from a variety of CISFA members, hopefully potential CISFA members, and others to speak on behalf of a number of topics for those wanting to get the basics of financial aid. For those who attend, I hope you had a good time. Other than that, today's there's not a whole lot in the financial aid world of news unless I'm forgetting to read my inbox of reading material. And I do see I've got a backlog. This may be one tip I'll offer out there to people in your email programs like Outlook and all. Create rules. Rules, for example, of if this message is from NASFA and the subject is NASFA's Today's News or something, automatically route to this folder in my inbox. Now, this does mean you have to build some folders, but I have a folder that literally says reading. So I know that everything I route there, either manually, you know, slide it out of the inbox when it comes in, or I've created a rule for, are things that are not immediate. I do not have to get to them right away. They're for reading. And in the case of putting together the news here for the What's Brewing Seas for podcast, the items of news that I may pull from uh, for the show. I create some other folders too because I'm not one that wants to leave all my to-do items in my inbox. First of all, the title of my book someday will be my email inbox is not my to-do list. Instead, if it's an item that is an email that has uh, a task attached to it, I use task management software. And then I will tag it in my task management software that it's tied to a particular email. And so then I have a folder in my inbox, in my Outlook, that says already tied or I call 
taskized is, is the term I use, taskized. Uh, but you could call it whatever you want. You could say already on the task list or something. And then some other folders too, of course. Uh, but that's just one way to keep yourself organized. And so again, my news coming out of my reading folder, I am a little backed up on it. So the news that I do have pulled up was st things that I started pulling from the end of last week that I'd hope to use on the Tuesday show which is really today's show, recorded on a Thursday. Why? Because we had no time Tuesday or Wednesday. If that isn't confusing enough, I don't know what is. That's why let's move on with this show here, get to some of the news. First up from Federal Student Aid, they have an electronic application announcement that 2022-2023 FAFSA Spring Renewal Campaign is upon us. So starting April 19th, that's next week, they will start sending emails and text messages to 2022-23 FAFSA filers and parents of dependent FAFSA filers who have not yet submitted a 2022-23 FAFSA form. Now, how's that right? So the goal of the campaign here is to remind customers that, you know, the FAFSA form is available and should be completed as soon as possible uh, for the coming school year. So what they're saying here is eligible students and parents who have a valid email address in the central processing system, that's the, in a sense, computer program that processes FAFSAs, will receive an email sometime between April 19th and early May. Students and parents may receive different messages based upon certain factors. And a specific email text is attached to this electronic app notice. So it's some uh, pretty good information here uh, for you. An idea here is, again, those who had applied in the prior year and possibly could be applying in the coming year, they want to make certain those students are on top of things. I'll give you guys all a link in the show notes, assuming I have time to put in the show notes right away uh, for this electronic announcement. The other big one, and this was reported on NASFA and every other news website in the world, it seemed like the White House has extended student loan payment pause through August. And as it says here, pledges to give borrowers a fresh start on repayment. I will not interject with my personal opinion here that if this pause goes on any longer, um, it's not even like they're going to cancel the loan. They're just going to just consider that, you know, you're on pause forever. But anyways, Biden administration once again extended the pause on federally held student loan payments and interest accrual, uh, this time until August 31st. This was an announcement that followed some... Uh, uh, continue, uh, you know, the continued extension of the loan moratorium on student loan payments and interest accrual that was set to expire, you know, just recently. It was, it was going to end on May 1st, and this was in effect since March 2020, so we're over two years. Uh, so there's some information in uh, this article written up by our VP, uh, I'm sorry, our, our staff over there at NASFA. And uh, there's actually a quoted tweet here from Secretary Cardona of the Department of Ed uh, from his tweet that indicated, you know, announcing an extension until August 31st. 
So for those who should be making loan payments, again, you've got an extended period of time here to maybe invest that money in other things. Hopefully good things, not expensive things or things that lose value. But uh, saving that money up so you can maybe pay off your loan quicker. Maybe you can invest it and make a little money on the side. Who knows? Uh, go uh, fund a new uh, career or job or such. But, you know, taking into account this extra time should not just be looking back and spending that money willy-nilly uh, as much as we'd all like to spend our money willy-nilly. So I'll give you a link to the NASFA story, but you probably have seen it in the news, otherwise all around town. On to NBC News. This was an interesting article I think I was going to get into at the last news show. Guess because it had a cool title. Now these uh, next few news items are not specifically financial aid but they are all about college. And so this one is, just the title was great. ICE sets up a fake college to catch fraudsters. Students say they were duped. So it says here, after fighting the case for years, the government has agreed to settle a lawsuit brought by students who alleged alleged they were collateral damage in a sting operation. So according to this, more than 1,000 foreign students faced deportation after it was revealed that the University of Northern New Jersey was a sham school set up by ICE. So it's an interesting thing. They start here with an example here. This student found himself in a bind in the fall of 2015 after graduating from Syracuse. Uh, the 27-year-old, uh, I'm not going to say what country, but he was from, uh, outside the U.S., was accepted into a master's program in computer science at the University of Northern New Jersey. The program was told, the program, he was told, would allow him to stay in the U.S. on a student visa, continue working as a computer programmer. But he was waiting on a visa authorization and no one at the school was getting back to him. You know, with the clock ticking down, um, he decided to rent a car and drive to the college. You know, inside a three-story building on the leafy office park, he was escorted into the office uh, by a person indicating he was the president of the college, produced a government form, signed it, handed it back to this student, gave the student a, a school T-shirt. How cool. And snapped the photo. Uh, so <laughs> it's an interesting story here. Again, their idea here was, you know, that this student here paid tuition and fees, uh, believing he was earning credit towards his degree by continuing his work like an internship, what that really wasn't the whole thing, was it? Uh, instead, the idea here was to catch fraudsters who were not really going to school. So this was something ran by Department of Homeland Security. It's a very interesting article. It's a pretty long read. I remember reading about this way back in the day when this was first starting up, about how this plan was put into action. An idea, again, to catch primarily international students trying to stay in the U.S., uh, going to a school that in reality taught nothing and students did not go to any classes. So I'll, I'll definitely give you a link to this story. It's just that interesting. One more on the related front here, and then we'll have some more after a break. Student Affairs Workforce Faces Retention Issues, report says. This comes out from Higher Ed Dive at higheredive.com. So, you know, in short... You know, early and mid-career student affairs professionals are leaving the field for other pursuits amid compensation and work environment concerns. I can uh, agree to that. 
And this is according to a new report from NASPA, N-A-S-P-A. It's a higher education association for student affairs or what we call student services in some places, uh, administrators. So according to this, some 88% of professional surveyed said they had a lack of competitive salaries in comparison to jobs required experience and education could contribute to people leaving the profession. That's certainly a possibility. The report does recommend collaboration from higher ed professionals at all levels, improve workforce satisfaction and retention. I'm certainly being retained, but I'll have to say on my end, workforce satisfaction is probably at a low. So it's a pretty interesting thing. I think this would certainly be a report people should look over if you are working in student affairs or student services and see where do you fall in this? Where do your colleagues fall in this? You know, he says here, the work, uh, you know, highlighted four areas of discussion, you know, student needs and expectations, social justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. That's one thing. Professional preparation and development and workforce satisfaction and retention. So these are all things related to the field of student affairs. Certainly you want to read up more on this and keep an idea of what's expected of us. And again, is the pay good enough to keep people in our field? Especially when you consider nationally, at least, unemployment rates are at historic lows, especially for those with college degrees, in the, uh, beyond almost uh, historic. I mean, they're talking like 50-year lows. Um, so it's time to leave, find a new job. Uh, it may not be that awful of a time. Another article from a different uh, website I like to check in on, the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. Uh, they do a lot of things on higher education in general and and such. They had one, uh, an article just from a couple weeks ago called The Numbers Are In, Are Graduate Degree Programs Worth It? And so this is a topic that's come up before a number of times on the show I've talked about because it is something I've read quite a few books on relating to the value of higher education. So according to this, one of the researchers at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity studied the economics of higher education and published a analysis of almost 14,000 U.S. graduate degree programs in the investigation, as you call it. Uh, and he used a similar methodology to uh, a related study he conducted on the value of undergraduate degrees. This researcher calculated the return on investment for graduate programs across the country, determining which degrees had the best payoffs and which ones are likely to have a negative financial return. So now the thing is, I guess to give you an idea, this James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal is based in North Carolina. And so a lot of times uh, these articles will have a kind of a North Carolina focus. So the last line in the first paragraph goes, so how do North Carolina schools stack up? So, as it says here, uh, and again, he'll have, again, this is nationwide. This is just an interesting finding here. The researcher found, you know, that more than 40% of master's degrees have a negative return on investment. Uh, in, in particular, those in medicine, healthcare, biological sciences can be extremely lucrative. Uh, clinical sciences, medical studies yield a net lifetime return of return on investment at just one of their campuses in uh, North Carolina of over $4 million with its degree in dentistry and oral sciences trailing not too far behind, just at four mil. 
Uh, so just maybe a couple hundred thousand different. These are highly successful programs, you know, showing national trends at play here. Um, it says here, in contrast to the larger percentage of negative ROIs for master degree programs in general, uh, this 3% of degrees in computer science, math, or engineering demonstrate negative returns. So that tells you, again, that's the next group, computer science, math, and engineering that has high ROI. You know, so it's an interesting read, of course. Some of this, uh, unfortunately, sometimes just gets to be uh, common knowledge, I think. I think we could guess sometimes that which programs do not have good ROI. So I'm not going to tell you much more uh, as far as which of those are in case anyone's listening to the show and has a degree in those areas. But I think this is good to know when we talk to students and when we think about where we go for what programs. Do you go to a highly expensive private school for a program with a low ROI? As good as you think it might be for you or the long-term effects, we do know that if we're complaining out there in the, in the public about how student loans are burdening students out there and keeping them from either getting married, buying a house, moving on in their careers, or any of that stuff, how would it not be the same if they're going on to graduate school? Not always a requirement in life. And having those kind of debt burdens and such not thinking about the type of program they're taking and the amount of time that's going to weigh on them. So definitely check out the link to that. In a related manner uh, was one on uh, uh, one of the websites I check out regularly because they talk a little bit about education. It's a lot of politics, but a good amount on education. Uh, at National Review, college degree mandates are hurting workers. And so this one, I know I've read at least a book or two specifically about. And so the talk here is about how university grads and professional guilds are trying to keep those they deem unqualified out of jobs that should not require special degrees. And so this is a great article. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of free uh, as long as you haven't gone to National Review too many times like I have uh, and haven't paid for your online membership. Uh, but, you know, it talks about, again, how um, licensing regimes in states, you know, where you have to be licensed to get a certificate or maintain a job in a particular field holds people out. So then you have to have extra credentialing, as we say. Uh, that's a big topic in this article here. They talk about, in particular, one state's new licensing rules and how this might, in a sense, remove some burdensome regulations uh, based on constant state constitutionality in that state uh, and thus making these type of degree or certificate requirements, uh, you know, less burdensome to people to enter jobs in certain field. So definitely worthwhile reading. Try not to think of it just because it's a, uh, a certain leaning type of magazine uh, that you lean away from this article. I think it's good information. And again, there's plenty to be said on both sides. I'm sure there are plenty of people who can say occupational licensing. You know, when you think of stuff like barbers and cosmetology right off the top of your head, uh, that you'd want to have a certain amount of minimum expectation from people in those fields. But at the same time, if you're on the laissez-faire side of either capitalism or market uh, market forces, I think in time, if you knew that there was a barber that continually uh, cut bad hair and stabbed people behind the ear by accident, 
at some point he will not be a barber. And the reality is how much harm to, at some point, that person going, I may just want to go back to school so I know what I'm doing, uh, uh, starts to kick in. So uh, definitely look into that. But before we continue, I think we need a little bit of music and just a little bit of sips here. And of course, what are we back for? We are back for our second segment, also known as a second cup. Maybe not a full cup. I barely uh, drank anything off of my Diet Coke non-cup cup here. <sighs> On to the second cup segment here. Roll along with a few more articles and get our way out of here. Another related one here, this one from CNBC. So, again, I'm really covering all possible sources today. I must have really uh, dove into a website I really like, which is Real Clear Education. They come from the people who make Real Clear Politics, which was kind of this uh, article and opinion aggregator all about politics that came out a number of years ago. They've kind of subdivided themselves. So there's a Real Clear Education website that has specifically a subcategory of higher education. So I'm sure I must have found this one there. And this one comes again from CNBC called, Is College Really Worth It? Here's Why It's So Hard to Figure Out the Return on Investment. And so uh, a shorter article by far, and this one doesn't come from the same research uh, that I was just talking about in that previous article. But, you know, that here is, uh, you know, with about 81% of college-bound juniors and still seniors still see a college degree as a worthwhile investment, only 42% of families feel that confident about covering the cost of what that investment will be. So this is uh, primarily coming from reports from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. They're uh, part of the National Student Clearinghouse what used to be the National Student Loan Clearinghouse, which is an organization that works with many colleges and universities for reporting of enrollment and other uh, data reporting on an aggregate level that helps, of course, for statistical analysis, but also for students to ensure that they are maintaining uh, like loan deferment while in school. Schools can use the clearinghouse to report that information to the appropriate lenders or loan servicers. So it says here, in fact, getting a diploma is almost always worth it in the long run, according to the college payoff, a report from the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. Seems like a big throw on that, but okay, we'll go with that as a possibility. So it says here, bachelor degree holders generally earn 84% more than those with just a high school diploma, according to the report, and a higher level of education attainment the larger payoff you know when broken down by areas of study though the differences are striking and i think that's what that previous report that we we're just talking about uh starts to dive into it says here the top 10 paid majors are all related to engineering with the exception of computer science which ranks fifth out of all majors now again they're probably focusing on undergraduates so that's why we don't hear about medical related fields here because I'm sure they're just saying undergraduate. 
you know, so uh, it's a very interesting article, not too long, but definitely worth reading. And I think in conjunction with the other ones I've talked about today, get some good reading, get that background and kind of put facts to what we think about higher education. Especially because at some point we may be advising students or have people asking us, is it worthwhile to do this? And again, there are so many complicating factors, but the best you can do is give people not just broad information, but good specific information. Last couple articles here. We've got one here from the Fordham Institute. And so this was a, this, uh, I think it was under their like uh, commentary section or something like that. And it's, uh, it's under their fly paper section. I, I'm trying to find where this is, but this is on the, they advance educational excellence over there at the Fordham Institute. This is under their like national blogging topics. And it says here, a principal explains how to repair the harm of college for all. So we've certainly heard that term in the past. You know, the idea that college is for all. And it says here, you know, as a writer wrote a few weeks ago out on this website, uh, the education reform movement has come to the the realization that its belief in college for all, while well-intended, was misguided. You know, though the population of undergrad students is more diverse, both, you know, racially and socioeconomically than it was, than it was, say, 25 years ago, it's an open question whether many of them are better off. Most of the increases come at less selective or for-profit schools, which have much lower retention rates. That's certainly true. Nationally, only 16% of urban community college students graduate in three years. I think in California, that's probably similar, certainly not much better, maybe not as good. I I better not quote any numbers I don't know. But it's an interesting article here again, discussing again the idea that we say college for all, but is that really the line you want to go by? You know, there's so many other things. There's trades, there's apprenticeship programs, there's all kinds of other opportunities and options for students. And again, We think of it in terms of students should aim super high and all. But again, finances certainly can be one factor that families have to be well aware of. Again, without picking on any particular major, but would you want to borrow a significant amount of money to do a private school program that might be available at a state school uh, where you're going to have to borrow significant money, again, I say, um, and those initial years of salary could be significantly below the market rates. You know, it's idealistic. Will it help you move up? Will it make you a better person? But you have to start weighing that against the value of the program, whether or not you have the same amount of networking, which is sometimes the big selling point on these private schools, uh, especially your private prestigious schools. Uh, but there are a number of things to weigh out in And again, it may be what you want to do because you see it as a bright, shining light to improving yourself or showing to your family you've made it. But everything has a price, either in time and or money. And it's something that even in college, we have to consider. On to our last article here. 
this was an interesting one out at Forbes magazine online titled could crypto kill college it just sounded kind of weird i guess uh so it says here according to the writer who's a senior contributor he says my young son who's now 11 has always been fascinated by money money when he was five he asked me to explain taxes interest and insurance at eight during a visit to a bookstore he headed to the personal finance section and picked up a book titled burn the business plan (laughs) <laughs> so it's an interesting take here. So this is a kid who keeps quarters on the kitchen counter and practices rolling them uh, across with his knuckles. Last month he asked about pyramid schemes, so he had to explain Ponzi and Madoff and the such. Um, it's very interesting here. And so it says here, with the explosion of new cryptocurrencies and NFTs, uh, you know, pyramid schemes are all in the news. And it's just a really uh, kind of an interesting article here about uh, how this whole world of crypto has kind of taken over, even in the public space. He talks about how Super Bowl commercials had plenty of time there to explain that. You know, and how it says here, according to some surveys, something like 40% of American men aged 18 to 20 have bought crypto. That's pretty interesting. Uh, You know, and again, some of it could be desperation, as it says here. And it may be, uh, in particular, because this focus of this article is on men and the fact that men are not going to college at the same rates as women, has this become kind of a replacement to this belief that in order to get ahead, you need to do the crypto thing. So very interesting article. Uh, definitely worth your time to read through. So check it out. I will give you a link to this in the show notes also. Otherwise, I'm going to give you a little musical break that I hit hard, and we'll come back to the last part of the show. All right. And like that, we are really back for the last part of the show. It's time for our last sips. And with that last sip, everyone... I don't know if I really have an I dare you to uh, for right now. I'm going to save that up till uh, Dana's back on the show tomorrow. We're going to do a Friday show. So Thursday, Friday this week, it's kind of a weird combination, uh, but we'll definitely get you a Friday show. So I'm going to hold off on my I dare you to just kind of get us rolling here on the way out. Because again, I'm surprised I filled all this time up pretty well. So I want to thank you. For joining us today on the show and as always if you have something to say or have topics you want us to discuss email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com what's brewing cisfa is a production of studio 1051 a creative collaboration of me and dana yarbrough this has been episode number 174 recorded thursday april 12th i'm sorry april 14th 2022 Have a great day, everyone. Have a great rest of your week.